Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I am Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. So last time we spent quite a bit of time discussing Air Force Officer Training School and Air Force Reserve Officer Training Corps. We haven't yet gotten to the Air Force Academy. That will come later. But today we wanted to spend some time talking about what is it exactly that officers do in the Air Force. So perhaps we should start off by saying what is it uh, that you and I both do? And we'll kind of use that as a starting point and we'll go from there. Absolutely. I'll go first. I'm a civil engineering officer. My AFSC is 32 Echo 3 Golf or 32E3G. All right. Alphabet soup warning. I'm going to throw up my acronym flag. You ever been in a classroom <laughs> where you didn't understand something and you threw up a flag? Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. So acronym flag, it's present. What is AFSC, Colin? Thank you for... Uh, bringing that up. AFSC, Air Force Specialty Code. It is what the Air Force uses to designate my specific career field. AFSCs are not specific just to officers. They exist for every position in the Air Force, officer and enlisted. And it's equivalent in the other services is the MOS or Military Occupation Specialty. Excellent. Thank you. Appreciate it. So like as I, I was saying, I'm a civil engineering officer or just civil engineer. My responsibility for the Air Force as a civil engineer is to essentially build and maintain the base. In a nutshell, that is what I do. But in addition to that, I am a leader of the people who build and maintain the base. So I work with all of the, uh, the plumbers, the electricians, the firefighters, the explosive ordnance disposal or EOD technicians, Lots of cats and dogs in the umbrella of civil engineering in the Air Force, and I am a leader of those people. But right this moment, my job in the Air Force is to be an instructor or an 81 Tango or A1T. So that has taken me out of my permanent AFSE or my permanent specialty code, a permanent career field, and put me into a temporary career field as a, an instructor, an officer instructor, someone who helps to develop other officers in a special duty capacity. Excellent. Appreciate it. So that leads into my various jobs. So I was actually hired by the Air Force to be a chemist. Uh, I was a 6-1 Charlie or 6-1 C. And my job was to do research and development, specifically in the area of chemistry. After about a year, and we'll talk about this near as we get closer to the end, uh, I was asked by the Air Force to cross-train or to find another job. And that's when I was sent to intelligence officer training. So now that makes me a 14N, 14 November. The purpose and intent of the Air Force Officer Intelligence Corps is to provide information to commanders to enable them to make decisions. We can acquire that information via a variety of mechanisms. Not all of those mechanisms are classified 
but a large portion of them are. And as Colin outlined, we also lead other airmen in performing those functions. I also was an instructor for a time, as we discussed at officer training school, and I was actually an 81 Charlie, which is an OTS instructor. And so in my short eight years in the Air Force, I've held three Air Force specialty codes and done a wide variety of jobs. So something we kind of wanted to start off talking about is this idea that we're all classified and categorized into various buckets or stovepipes or whatever you want to call them. And it's always easy to point back to the guiding documents that kind of outline all this stuff. And I'm just going to read the title of this document that references and outlines and explains everything. The Air Force Officer Classification Directory dated 30 April 2019, the official guide to the Air Force Officer Classification Codes, a specialty for every Air Force job and the qualifications necessary to perform each job. This document is 267 pages long, and all it does is outline how officers are categorized and what makes them qualified to do that specific job. We're going to leave the link to this in the show notes. Just in case you want to read it. Yeah. Well, so there's some good things in there. So I definitely think there's some things that are worth paying attention to. And Colin, I know you probably have this situation much more often than I did, but this idea that, oh, it doesn't matter what degree you have to be an Air Force officer. You just have to have a degree. Uh, This document actually can help clarify that because that's not entirely true. For example, if you look at my first career in the Air Force, a chemist, when you look at the chemist in the back, there's a whole section of what degrees they want you to have to be in those jobs. Some of those career fields, and many of them do say any degree is listed. However, some of them don't have that. Specifically chemistry, if you go look at that right now, there are, I think, four or five very specific degrees you must have if you want to be a chemist. And biologist, which was my degree, is not listed. So that is one of the primary reasons I actually had to cross-train is because they no longer recognized that my chemistry minor was sufficient to perform the duties necessary of a chemist in the Air Force. So it's just something to pay attention to. This is not a backdoor to be a physicist if you can't pass college physics, but you've always wanted to be a physicist. This is not the way to get into that job. Yeah, the same is true for my career field. In in order to be a civil engineer, you must have a degree in engineering, typically civil engineering, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, we've dropped a bunch of numbers and a bunch of letters, and I think it's of value to kind of describe at least the main structure of how these are organized so that will help as we discuss the various jobs that are out there. The Air Force has chosen to break down its Air Force officer categories and the way they look at them into essentially nine very broad categories. And all of the specialties kind of follow the same pattern. If you fall into the first category or category one, your job has a one very near to the beginning of it. For example, 14N starts with a one. Uh, That falls into the operations codes. The people that fall into this are pilots, intelligence, weather, uh, combat rescue officer, special tactics officer, electronic warfare. These are the folks that are actively conducting what we typically think of as combat operations in the Air Force. 
the enlisted categories are very similar. So 1NO is an enlisted intelligence professional. So that's kind of an example of how you can see how they shake out. Category two is logistics. These are logistics officers, maintenance officers, munitions and missile maintenance officers. Category three, these are support. So you have civil engineer, security forces, public affairs, band falls into this category as to force support. Colin, what is force support? Force support is our equivalent of personnel. They are the officers or the capability, the mission set uh, that is responsible for supporting all other Air Force forces. I think that's really good. I think that, that you captured it well with the idea of human resources, HR, and expand on that a little bit. But that's basically what it is. But I realized that force support is one of those names that I know what it is when I know it, but I need to describe it. So, all right, category four, these are medical. And there are simply too many for me to outline here, but essentially anything having to do with human performance and keeping the human weapon system operating at its highest level are included there. The next category is category five. These are your professional, at least as they're described here. Um, these are law and chaplain. The next category is six, acquisitions, financial management. So this includes scientific research and development, developmental engineers, acquisitions, which is how we buy things as a service. We're talking if we need to purchase a new weapon system, how do we make sure that aircraft does what it needs to and is, arrives on time and on budget? contracting falls under this as well as finance and finance is making sure everyone is getting paid the way they're supposed to making sure their reimbursements are happening so physics engineers scientists some engineers fall in this category some don't some fall as colin earlier described up in the support with uh with ce or civil engineering category seven only has one job and that's the office of special investigation or osi these are our detectives that investigate potential crimes. They also, in the Air Force, have a counterintelligence role. Other services have specific jobs for counterintelligence, but this is something that our OSI does. The last two categories, Category 8 and 9, are miscellaneous cats and dogs, if you will. 8 is special duties. This includes officer instructors like calling it RO and myself when I was at officer training school, but there's a variety of other categories that you can be categorized as a eight series and the nine series are also a very limited set that apply very specifically. An example here, astronauts fall into series nine. So if you are an air force officer and you happen to be selected by NASA to become an astronaut, they're going to give you a different air force specialty code. And it's in the nine series students while they're in training, before they are formally awarded their Air Force specialty, they are in the nine series. So it's just kind of how we have to categorize people. We have to give them this code, and that's kind of where they fall into when category nine. That didn't even cover all of it. There's a whole section in this document about prefixes and suffixes to further describe and categorize your experience and how you should be treated where you can work, the different jobs that you can perform. Bottom line, almost anything you can imagine is something that we do in the Air Force. Yeah, and I think getting into the nitty-gritty of 
how the, the Air Force specialty codes work can get really complicated and is not entirely useful. I don't think that's a good way necessarily for for you and I, as well as the listeners in our, in our audience to spend their time. So probably the, the, the best way to think about this, you know, the, this, this one through nine series is that the, the lower the number, the closer that job is to the aircraft or the operational mission. For example, one, one is a pilot. Anything that comes after that one, one is going to be a pilot. And then one, two, okay, so uh, a little bit larger number or still close to the aircraft, but uh, somewhat, you know, a degree removed. A one, two is going to be someone who is in the aircraft, but not necessarily flying it. So that's going to be a, a combat systems officer, a CISO or an EWO or uh, an air battle manager. Those different AFSCs that are in the aircraft, but not flying it will have the, the 12 series and so on through the operations. Now, if you move on to the two series, two, one, yada, 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 is going to be someone who works on the aircraft. So they're not flying it, they're not in it, they work on it. So that's your, that's your maintenance folks. And it's also your logistics in that they are providing the things that are needed for maintenance on the aircraft or whatever the operational mission is. The three series are all the peripheral career fields peripheral jobs that make the flying mission or operational mission possible. So that is people like me, you know, civil engineer. I'm not flying the aircraft. I'm not in the aircraft. I'm not working on the aircraft, but you need me in order to get the flying mission off the ground. I build the runway. I build the hangars. I build all the, the fuel storage facilities. I build all the offices the buildings that people sleep in, the buildings that people eat in, where they recreate. I build the fence around the base or the airfield. And so I am not there with the aircraft, but the aircraft still needs me in order to, and, and the people who are working with or around or on the aircraft need me in order to get their job done. That's the, the three series. And then four through nine, essentially are the people who take care of the people who take care of the mission. Yeah, that's a great way to describe right? those. So four through nine, your, your medical folks, your lawyers, your doctors, the finance folks that make sure you and I read get paid. Which is important. Or that um, the bills to keep the lights on or the jet flying get paid, those kinds of things. Also uh, in that you know, four through nine is all of the commanders, They'll end up as a nine series and general officers. We need them too. Yep, absolutely. So that's a, a good way to think about what each of these different numbers mean. The lower the number, the closer to the aircraft, the higher the number, the less direct impact or interaction that job has with the operational flying mission and the more interaction that they have with the people who take care of the mission. I think it's really important here to note that this does not in any way reflect a sense of importance or value to our service. Uh, I certainly never felt that I was unimportant or not valued when I was in the six series. I did not feel that my importance went up when I became a one series. 
it's, it's simply how close you are, like you said, Colin, to the actual operational mission of generating combat sorties to create effects against our adversaries. But we can't do it without everybody. We need an entire team. And whatever you fall in your dreams, wishes, hopes, desires, abilities, skills, we need everybody to perform the mission. Thanks for making that point, Reed. But I will say there are those people out there who do think that being a 1-1 is all that there is and all that the Air Force needs. Sure. And I'm sure we will cover that in maybe even this episode. (laughs) One thing that I want to bring up is that AFSCs are not static. They do change. They change in order to meet mission requirements. So read your example before of being reclassed from being a chemist into intelligence is a great example of a personnel change, but the AFSC itself will also change at different points in time. Some examples of that, you you mentioned force support earlier. It used to be called personnel, but within the last decade, it has been renamed force support for whatever reason. I don't know what the the reason that that change was made for, but that is what it is now. I think actually, if I remember correctly, it combined two different AFSCs. It combined personnel with you know, some other one that maybe was responsible for morale and mortuary affairs or something like that. Yeah, I don't recall exactly what career fields they were. Um, I actually worked with someone who was a personnelist whose job it was is to manage people and where they were exactly as we described earlier with HR. The career field combined AFSCs. They combined two different jobs and had a surplus of officers. She was reclassed into intelligence. And so, yeah, that kind of thing happens. Another example of uh, combining AFSCs is the uh, the ongoing discussion at the moment of the 13 Charlie or Special Tactics Officer with the, the 13 Delta Combat Rescue Officer. They're talking about making those the same AFSC and calling it something like Special Warfare Officer or something, or maybe just keeping it Special Tactics Officer. That hasn't been made official yet. But I know that is a discussion that's being had in the in the special operations community. Another example is taking a secondary AFSC, like the the 16 Foxtrot Foreign Affairs Officer, which is a special duty type position or special AFSC that officers can pick up and fill those different types of assignments that that deal with foreign countries foreign relations, international diplomacy, that kind of thing. Uh, They're talking about taking that AFSC and making it its own primary AFSC. So we'd have people who do that and only that uh, for their career field. Because as it stands right now, these FAOs, as they're often referred to, foreign area officer, they have a primary or the, the job that they've been hired for, and they have to go back to that job. So I know a number of intelligence officers who are FAOs, and they have to do one assignment as an intelligence officer. Then they go to their secondary job, which is FAO, do an assignment in that category, and then they have to go back and forth. And they're having a discussion about whether or not that's optimal for not only their primary careers, but for the career of a FAO. Is that the right thing to do? Another example, Colin, is you've, we've recently created a new specialty code 
the multi-domain operations officer to 13 Oscar. And this is, you know, being driven by our chief of staff, command and control, multi-domain operations. Those are areas of emphasis for him. And as our space mission grows and continues to take shape, this is going to be continuing on. The whole idea here is that the service has to modernize, the service has to adjust to the times. And along with that, so will the jobs that we fulfill, the functions that we have to perform. And also too, I think it's interesting, uh, both you and I got hired for one thing and have done very different things over the course of our short careers. And that is not the exception. I think a lot of us will end up doing a whole variety of things while we're in. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll discuss that later, but that's a wonderful thing about being an officer in the Air Force is that you don't necessarily have to do just one thing. But even if you stay in your own career field, there are many, many things that you can do. And as we explore each of the different career fields and interview people from those different career fields, we will see the many opportunities that are out there, the different experiences that you can have, the unique experience that you will have in your own personal career that can be very different from person to person. Absolutely. And I think what I want to share here is that it's important to realize that the Air Force is much, much more than just pilots. I believe that you and I, or anybody else who is in the Air Force, has that conversation with, with somebody, a family member or a friend, meet somebody on the street, oh, you're in the Air Force, what do you fly? Well, actually, I don't fly. I stay on the ground. I'm a ground pounder. I didn't want to be a pilot or I didn't qualify to be a pilot because of various medical issues or whatever the, the case may be. It's important to realize that the vast majority of people in the Air Force actually don't fly at all. Even if they're in operations, they don't necessarily have to be in or around the aircraft. Pilots only make up about 4% of the total Air Force. And one of the things that drives all that, like I was mentioning earlier, is that these different support functions and then the people who support the support functions, the Air Force has to be able to function like a small city. If you think about what an Air Force base is, the different things that go into creating an Air Force base and getting the, the flying mission going, yes, there, there is an airstrip or some sort of operational set of facilities for that. There are all of the hangars, the office buildings, the, the places that people sleep, the places that people eat, where they recreate, the perimeter of that Air Force base. Essentially, an Air Force base looks and functions very similar to a city. And like a city, the Air Force base is going to need all of the many functions, all of the many occupations that keep that city running. There's going to have to be people who run the, the gym that you go work out at. There are people who have to cook the food that you go eat. There are people who have to pick up the garbage and, and haul it away that fix your light bulbs or make sure the power is on or that provide security. All of these things have to exist just so that we can get the aircraft off the ground or manage the satellites in the sky. Yeah, absolutely. 
something important to think about and to talk about too is a lot of people's exposure if they have any to military members and military facilities is very likely in the united states and so that kind of begs the question well you're in a city this is a mini miniature city within a city why can't you rely on local services why can't people go to gyms outside of base etc cetera, etc cetera. and the bottom line is we need to be able to take this capability and move it anywhere in the planet and establish operations anywhere we need to in order to get the mission done so that's something that we have to keep in mind right yes i could hire a financial company to run the finance side of the air force but it might be difficult to get uh, an accountant who did not join the air force to go to qatar for six months away from their family and perform their finance role so that people out in Qatar can get paid. That's just one example. But that's exactly why we need to have military members performing all these functions so that we can be self-contained to go out and fight our nation's wars. Yeah, thanks for making that point. And so when I talk to uh, pr prospective cadets, I, I like to tell them that pretty much anything that they might be interested in out there in the civilian world, the Air Force likely has some equivalent of it. Again, think about what are the occupations in a small or even a, a medium-sized city that require professional training, a bachelor's degree, what are those jobs? But when I say this type of thing to them, they often meet me with quizzical looks like, I don't really believe you. The Air Force is pilots. You just fly around, break stuff, and kill people. Yes, that is what the Air Force does operationally, but there's more to it. So I let them test me. I ask them, give me a, a civilian career, anything that you can think of, and I'll see if I can find something similar to it uh, in the Air Force. And this practice has led to some pretty interesting experiences. Obviously, there are some that are pretty easy to, to do. You know, like a Delta Airlines pilot is going to be very similar to our heavy aircraft cargo pilots or a cop is going to be very similar to our security forces. But I, I've had some pretty good ones that have even stumped me just a little bit. Uh, like, what would someone who studied uh, elementary education do in the Air Force read? Well, we actually have DOD schools. We have child care facilities. And those probably all fall under for support. Indeed, yeah. So uh, a force support officer has the, op the opportunity to get involved with these uh, DOD schools, the Child Development Center, these different development programs through the morale, welfare, and recreation facilities, you know, those types of after-school activities. So no, they may not necessarily be in the classroom teaching kindergarten, but if they have an interest in developing those types of programs or being involved with them, then there's an opportunity for them as an officer in the Air Force. Another good one that, that came to me recently was garbage man. Are there any garbage men in the Air Force? Yes, there are. They're actually called civil engineers, me. <laughs> so uh, both on the stateside mission and especially when we go overseas, we need to get the garbage off the base so that it doesn't pile up there and get it where it can be properly disposed of. According to whatever the standards are in that location where we're operating. And so, yes, 
I am an overpaid, glorified garbage man. <laughs> Tell me, I'm certain there'll be some stories later, but there has got to be a number of situations that you took a step back and thought, I'm not sure this is what I thought was going to happen when I finished my degree. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. How many times has that happened to both of us? I'm sure. So many times. <laughs> the Air Force wants me to do what? <laughs> yep, exactly. And we'll cover that for sure at the end. Yeah. I, another good one that came up was someone who wants to study graphic art. And I like to talk to them, what is graphic art about? And then they'll say something along the lines of using art to communicate a message of some sort. And I say, well, that sounds exactly like Air Force Public Affairs. They are using various different types of media, whether it's graphic art or cinematography or social media or whatever the case may be, in order to communicate some sort of message to the, the outside world. And this becomes really important when we go overseas and we're operating in a location where the local people don't really understand us. They don't, that maybe they don't appreciate what it is that we're doing. And so it is the responsibility of the public affairs officer to understand and communicate clearly to that local population about what it is that the Air Force is trying to do, why they are there, and try to assuage some of those uh, concerns that, that the people might have. Absolutely. Another good one. The student was, was fairly confident that they had me stumped when they said mortician. And being familiar with how mission support works, I knew very intimately based on some experiences I've had with, with how the Air Force operates. We have what's called mortuary affairs and that mission belongs to the force support where when people pass away in, our, in the service, they have the responsibility of taking care of, of the body or God forbid body parts in some circumstances and dealing with them respectfully, making sure that that individual is able to make it home and to their final resting place. And the last one, this was a good story. I was in a, a large recruiting event going through this exercise and someone uh, raised their hand and said, how about magician? And I just smiled to myself and said, well, you know, our pilots are really good at making people disappear. So the point of all this is to show that there are many different types of career fields in the Air Force. Some of them line up really, really well with what's going on out there in the, in the civilian world, the different types of occupations that are available. But it's also important to note that not everything that you could study out there in the civilian or what you might be interested in has a perfect fit. A good example of this is uh, what would someone with a degree in dance do in the Air Force? Any thoughts on that, Reed? Well, I mean, you know, we did cover it a little bit at the top. There are a number of jobs that just require a degree, any degree. So, you know, you could qualify for some of those, but you know, I think of a couple things, a dance major probably has a higher level of fitness than say an engineering major, all things being equal, right? We can't, we can't make, you know, those broad generic statements. So, you know, maybe they'd be really well suited for some of the more physically 
challenging jobs. So special tactics, combat rescue officer, both of those say any degree. Uh, so, it, you know, maybe that would be where they could fit. Um, maybe they're comfortable in front of people. Being in front of people is something that officers have to do on a regular basis. Uh, so that's one option. Being able to run a crew, an air crew, manage a, a team of people, that defines pretty much any officer in my opinion, but specific air crew jobs, so pilot, combat systems officer, any of those other options, air battle management, uh, that would be a really good one. You know, you think, what is the job of an air battle manager? They're essentially a choreographer of people. They just happen to be flying really big, expensive aircraft who are out doing awesome things. So yeah, maybe a choreographer would be an excellent air battle manager. Yeah, the, I think the important thing here is that you need to take a look at what are the, the fundamental components of the degree that you're studying? What is it that draws you uh, to that particular uh, degree program or area of interest? Boil it down to those smaller components and find something that truly uh, captures your interest and your passion. And then when you sit down and talk with someone like, like us, Reed, that have done instruction for the different commissioning sources, or if you talk to a recruiter or anybody else in the, the Air Force that's been around for a while, they can help you to identify a possible career field that lines up relatively well with the things that, that you are interested in. And then, hey, you do that job for a, a certain amount of time, the typical four-year active duty service commitment or all the way up until retirement. And then you get out and go do that civilian job that you've always wanted to do. Go be a, an accountant for some Fortune 500 company and, and make the, the six figures. Or go work for Google as a software developer or computer programmer. Or go be a dancer with the Rockettes on at Radio City Music Hall. All of the skills and experiences that you get in the Air Force are, are going to be translatable and transferable into that uh, civilian career field after you have served your time in the Air Force, whatever length that might be. And vice versa, Colin. You know, I had a lot of students at officer training school that had had civilian careers, some of them important, meaningful fulfilling careers that a lot of people had done for a long time and the same principle applies those skills and ability that you have gained in the civilian world have value and are needed and you can bring something to the fight that someone who was who joined the air force you know 17 years old out right out of high school or whatever it is that maybe they don't have they you may have a perspective or an experience that we don't have and we need so if you know, but it's interesting as we talk about all this, we know we've really focused a lot on what it is that you do, right? The, the whole title of this episode is what you do. But, you know, as I've gone through, as I prepped for this episode, as I did a bunch of reading, you know, as a member of the profession of arms, this is something that I pay attention to. This is something I try to be current on and, and be informed about. So I do a lot of reading in this regard. This idea of what an Air Force officer is and what they do is an active area of debate. And that's something I think it would be really valuable to explore for a little bit. So I want to sum all of my thoughts up in a quote from General Goldfein, but I need to get you there. So if you've been paying attention to uh, the media, 
for the last couple of years, there's been a pretty severe pilot shortage in the Air Force. It's something that's been given a lot of press time. And I'm talking, you know, RAND, NPR, Air Force Times, Forbes, War on the Rocks, which is another podcast and reporting mechanism that focuses on uh, Department of Defense issues, Foreign Policy Magazine, Air Force Magazine, and essentially any big mainstream media outlet that you can imagine has been reporting on this idea of a pilot shortage. And I've read all of them, right? This is something that affects me. It affects my profession. It's something I'm interested in. And one article, an Air Force Times article, which I'll provide a link to in the show notes, uh, from June of 2018, General Goldfein, he was talking about his emphasis on re- revitalizing the squadron, make sure that our squadron, which is the most fundamental in the Air Force, making sure they have strong and effective leaders. And this is what he said, quote, that to me is the secret sauce. That's what's going to keep people in. It's what kept me in. If you can get inspirational squadron commanders out there that are given decision authority to run their squadrons and they're given the resources they need to accomplish the mission and they're out there inspiring their airmen that is going to be far and above the most effective end quote so i found that really fascinating in his opinion the way to solve our pilot shortage doesn't have a whole lot to do with pilots it has everything to do with leaders and that is the unique challenge of our service, I think. This idea of are we our skill community or are we a leader? And that's just something I thought would be good to explore for a little bit. Yeah, I think what you're bringing up is a, a really important topic, something that is a current topic of discussion uh, in the Air Force about you know, one, of the, one of the terms that, uh, that we hear frequently is stovepiping where your career field follows a, a very strict line of progression that goes up this stovepipe and your particular stovepipe has very little interaction with the other career fields that are adjacent to it. For example, the operations community, that one series that we were talking about has very little interaction or understanding of the two series and the two series has very little understanding and interaction with the three series who has very little interaction with the fours on through the seven, eights, nines, or whatever. And that process of stovepiping really limits our ability to be leaders because we don't understand the broader context of what is going on in our air force. So trying to get away from that focus on a specific skill set and breaking down those stovepipes having crosstalk between different uh, career fields, engineer to intelligence officer like you and I read, or from pilot you know, to the medical communi- uh, community, or OSI to logistics, you, you name it. There needs to be crosstalk and communication and networking between these different career fields in order to make all of us better leaders better officers for our airmen. No, absolutely. And every single one of those stovepipes, the more we cling to them, the more likely there's going to be internal friction between those. Yes, the reason we are categorized into our specific jobs is important. It's so that everyone is focused and specialized and professional and developing in their area. 
But like you said, if we're not all rowing the boat in the same direction, then we're not going to be as efficient and as effective as we could be to fight our nation's wars, which is what our public demands of us, right? They have put in us a special trust to conduct warfare on their behalf, and we owe it to them to do that as efficiently as, and effectively as possible so that we can give them the rights and freedoms that they, that they enjoy. On another point, I, I'm glad that you made it about you know, what's truly important, the executing the Air Force mission on behalf of the American people. Yes, that is the bottom line. That is the most important thing. But also, look at what the career path of an officer is supposed to be. You come in as a, as a lieutenant. Your responsibility at that point is to learn your job specific to your career field. Get really good at your particular job. But then as you move up, you move away from the tactical level to a more operational level. You get a, a bigger, broader vision, bigger, broader understanding of what it is that your career field does, like as we've been discussing and how it interacts with some of those other pieces. And then as you move up even further, you get into the, the strategic level. We're talking lieutenant colonels, colonels. These are the officers that are having the most interaction with the career fields around them as they come together in developing a, a force package, a capability and how to project it and accomplish whatever the, the mission or the national objective is. But then above them, what's above a colonel? A general officer. And what do we call them? General. So at that point, you are no longer responsible for being tactically proficient in your specific career field. You're not even supposed to be strategically proficient. Yes, you've built up and you maintain those skills, but now you are supposed to be generally proficient across the Air Force capabilities. At the highest levels of the Air Force for officers, you should no longer be representative of one specific community, but you should be representative of all airmen and everything that it takes to accomplish the mission, whatever it may be. Which I think is one of the cruxes of this challenge that we've been faced as a service. So something that I've observed, I think we have a little bit of an identity crisis in the Air Force. So our service is unique in how it's shaped and how it sends people off to fight its wars. Generally speaking, for millennia, and our sister service continues with this structure, a few officers lead a large group of enlisted members who go and do the bulk of the fighting. In the Air Force, that structure has been flipped on its head. You have this massive pyramid of most often enlisted members who work really hard, are guided by brilliant officers, but mostly it's a bunch of enlisted folks who prepare the aircraft, prepare the airfield, prepare the logistics, the munitions, everything that's required to put a few officers in these aircraft to go off and fight. We have our officers going off and doing the fighting in small numbers relative to, say, an infantry brigade where there's a small number of officers leading a large number of enlisted. And this, as a result of this flipped script, we're trained young and early to be very good at our technical profession, right? At, at the skill community that we've been assigned to. And those stovepipes, those labels, those identities are really hard to shake as we get further along in our officer development. 
And that seems to be one of the challenges with recruiting and retaining talent as we get farther along. People want to do what they were hired to do. I definitely felt that when I was originally assigned doing something that I quote unquote wasn't hired to do. I felt that pull. I felt that desire to be with the folks that I had trained with and wanted to do what I had been hired to do. So I understand that pull. But over time, I have gained a deeper appreciation for what I think really matters when it comes down to it. I'm an officer first. I'm a leader of airmen first. And I am my skill community second. And that's something that I hoped I related to all of the students that I had the fortune of teaching at officer training school. Because I think as General Goldfein pointed out, that's how we're going to keep the folks here to do the job. I fully agree with you that that we are in a identity crisis. I think that identity crisis is very much focused in on our officer community. I think that our enlisted airmen are still following a, a lot of that same structure that is similar to our sister services. I think that they are still technically proficient. The subject matter experts, they are still used to and thriving within the idea of there being few officers and they are the overall leaders of, uh, of the Air Force. So I think that this identity crisis is specific to the officer corps. And I think it's because we have gotten away from an understanding of what leadership truly is and what the officer historically has been, what their capability is. I want to share this, uh, this quote from General Omar Bradley, World War II era Army general. And he said, leadership is intangible and therefore no weapon ever designed can replace it. And what I read in this quote is that leadership is the weapon. Leadership is the thing that enables the mission to be not only accomplished, but lethal. It is leadership that enables the mission to be effective or the people who are conducting the mission to be effective. And that is what an officer is, is a leader. First and foremost, an officer is supposed to be a leader. And therefore, you know, this is something that I've been thinking about recently about the officer in their own right is a weapon system. The officer is a capability that the Air Force produces that is that has the ability to project force and is a force multiplier. And if you read Dave Grossman's work, he talks about the, the officer being a, a killing enabler. If you think about why the, the Roman Legion was so successful is because it was one of the very first times that they took somebody out of the ranks, out of the, the, the legion itself, and put him behind his men. And it was his job to keep his men focused on the task directly in front of them, which was stabbing forward, wounding and disarming the, the enemy directly in front of his men. And if it weren't for that Roman officer being there, the, the men would not have been nearly as effective. Some may still have fought, but others without that officer behind them may have dropped their swords and shields and run. 
So it was the officer's job to keep them in place, keep them disciplined, keep them moving forward and doing their job. And that, that tradition, that history has kept with us, as you mentioned earlier, there being few officers and many enlisted being responsible for combat operations in our sister services. But that doesn't exist in the Air Force. And so we are getting away from what has traditionally made us successful. And therein is a possible source of this identity crisis, is that we are moving away from officers being mission enablers to being the ones who do the mission themselves on their own. And this is something that's an active area of discussion uh, at the highest levels of our branch. Uh, Chief of Staff is right now undergoing a thorough review of how officers are categorized, how they are evaluated, what matters in a letter that was published mid-August of 2019 to all of his wing commanders. He discussed how this is an active area of discussion and they're trying to get this right. So I'm also encouraged. You know, we, we, we have been a little downer right now, you know, on, on our own branch, but I am very encouraged that we have leaders who are trying to get this right and working to address this issue so that we can be as effective as we need to be for our nation. Yeah, absolutely. Up and down the chain. There are officers in the Air Force that, that get it, that are doing it right. But collectively, we are somewhat, if not completely, off the path. And it will take some significant leadership like General Goldfein to get us back on the direction where we need to go, where we want to end up in the future, especially as we deal with some major movements like the creation of the Space Force. What is that going to look like? How do you teach a warrior ethos to those who fight in space when they're not going to be in space at all, when they fight from a computer desk? What is the role of the officer in that type of situation? When he or she is leading airmen or spacemen, right? That's these are that's a that's the kind of questions people are going to have to have as we go through this these growing pains. How, how does that officer lead those people when they don't get to have the luxury of staring their enemy in the face? Yeah, exactly, and a myriad of other problems that I'm not even smart enough to have thought about. But this is going to be a real challenge. But at the same time, what an exciting time to be a part of the Air Force. Absolutely. Yeah, I know a number of airmen who are ready and willing. As soon as you know the guidance is out, they are excited. I mean, what an opportunity to be a pioneer, truly, to be a pioneer and establish something from the ground up. So, Reed, why don't we wrap this up a little? How about from your uh, personal experience, tell us what officers do. Yeah, I, I gave this a lot of thought and uh, I reflected back over my time, all of the things I've done, places I've been. It reads very much like that Dr. Seuss book, you know, oh, the places you'll go, right? And, you know, I do want to caveat my last few words here. I mentioned this is not in any way to denigrate or belittle anyone or anything that is done in service to their country. This is also not to wave my own flag or to beat my chest and you know, try to say how amazing or important I am, not in any way. It is simply my humble attempt to try and describe in words the range and scope of experiences that I've had. So I have had opportunities 
to brief four-star general officers as they made decisions that impacted active war fighting. I have also sat in the rain in the forests of Alabama in a plywood box in the dirt. I have played paintball for days. I have taught merit badge classes to Boy Scouts. I have cleaned toilets. I've attended lectures by some of the most respected minds in the country. I have been and participated in some of the most important centers of power in this country. I have also swept floors. I have had some of the highest highs I've ever experienced and some of the lowest lows. I have gotten mail in five countries and five states. I have a friend in almost every single time zone. Yet, as a result of my service, I've also felt some of the most painful loneliness I've ever experienced. Yeah, I want to echo some of the things that you said, Reed. A huge array of experiences. And again, not to toot my own horn or you say, hey, hey, look at me. Look at everything that I've done, everything I've seen. But I want to give our audience a taste of what it means to be an officer. I have written lots and lots of bullets, a lot of bullet statements for myself, for others, for programs that were especially wonderful, that mean a lot to me, and some that didn't mean anything at all, that I knew was going absolutely nowhere. I've also shot a lot of bullets, not nearly as many bullets as I've written, but I've, I've shot some bullets too. I've seen some pretty awesome things go boom, very large very exciting explosions. I've also seen very large and very difficult uh, implosions of people's lives. I have literally kept poop from flowing in the streets. Good story. I'll share it another time. As an officer, I have kept the crap from hitting the fan. More importantly, I have kept the crap that did hit the fan from hitting my airmen. I have sent people to deploy. I have deployed myself. And while in that situation, I have sent people home from their deployments. I have saved precious, critical, highly classified information from getting in the hands of the enemy. I have saved my airmen from the enemy who was wearing the same uniform as them. And in one circumstance, I saved an airman from taking his own life. I thankfully have never had to take somebody else's life. But as an officer in the Air Force, I'm ready to, if that's what the Air Force needs me to do. Yeah, thanks, Colin. Bottom line, as long as I'm wearing this uniform, I've dedicated myself to the service of my country, whatever that means. Sometimes, Colin, that has been as Hollywood as you can imagine. There have been a number of times I've had to stop and pinch myself and ask, what did I do right to be here right now having this experience? I would have never imagined we're able to do some of the things I've been able to. And then sometimes it isn't. And I wonder, I went to college and got two degrees, two, to do this thing right now, but that's okay. This is what I choose for this to be. It's service to others. And that for me is the most important thing at the end of the day. Thank you, Reed. I think we should leave it there. I hope this has been useful to you, our listening audience. I hope that you have a better understanding here from us and our experiences, better understanding of what it is that officers do in the Air Force. We hope that if this has been useful, that you will share this information with other people, share it with your friends, your family, those who are interested in joining the Air Force, have them reach out to us. Our contact information will be in the show notes. 
You can email us, engage with us on the social media. Please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that, that you choose to get your, your podcasts. That will help us to get this message out, help others better understand what it is that Air Force officers do, what it means to be an officer, and ultimately how to join this profession of arms. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Thank you.